This week's podcast brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation going all the way back to 1937. Think about that. That's a lot of history of conserving waterfowl habitat and the uh, ducks and geese that we all are so passionate about. Uh, I'm a proud member and I also serve on the Dallas DU committee. Uh, I encourage you to get plugged in with your local Ducks Unlimited chapter uh, and, and join this great group of folks who are passionate about duck hunting and waterfowl conservation. For more info, head over to ducks.org. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born and more, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities, to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Can't slow down. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody into episode 677 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So thanks for dropping by. Um, what's going on today? Uh, let me tell you. And I'll, well, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, first, though, we had a lot of fun. I took the kids to the um, Ducks Expo out at Texas Motor Speedway last weekend. Um, took them out there Saturday. It was a three-day event hosted by Ducks Unlimited, their national expo, and it's been at TMS the last three years. Uh, their favorite part was they actually had, like, I think it was NBC Sports there, and they were filming those those dogs that jump off the platform to see how far they can land in a basically a pool and I mean, they had dogs that were jumping over 30 feet in the air it was incredible uh, I was of course cheering for a lab I think some real lanky looking mutt ended up winning uh, but yeah the dogs that were had super long legs as you could imagine and not a lot of fat just completely lean machines those type of dogs did awesome yeah but the kiddos had a blast and it's always validating when they look at you as you're walking out and they, they're like dad Thanks for taking us to that. That was fun. Uh, and it was fun. Of course, the entire waterfowling community converged uh, out there for the weekend. And uh, so much to see and do with exhibitors and vendors and four-wheelers, UTVs that you could ride around this track they had set up. And it all took place right there in the infield of you know this stadium that holds 100-something thousand people. And then they had the shooting village set up outside where... You could shoot rifles and shotguns as well. So lots of fun. Family-friendly event. I know my three kids uh, probably were tired of answering the question when they'd walk by an exhibitor and 
pick something up or they, you know, they'd start a conversation with the kiddos by saying, have, have you ever been hunting with your dad? <laughs> they would say, Henry was like, well, uh, I don't remember not hunting because dad shows me pictures of him with me and I'm in a stroller and a dove patch. So they've been hunting a couple times. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be back out there next May before it gets too hot. So be sure to check that out when it rolls back around. Uh, what are we doing today? Let me tell you, pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old Stanley Thumbers, the one that has mud caked on it from duck seasons that have come and gone because uh, we're ready to rock and roll and to kick things off. Gabriella Hoffman, our longtime friend from the District of Conservation podcast, will be here. Lots to discuss with her. Um, we'll hit on, well, unfortunately, the tragedy of the past week and uh, and then how this current administration, of course, didn't let a good tragedy go to waste, calling for uh, stricter gun control. Uh, and then something that really relates to the future of hunting in this country, uh, it's, it's in the university system. And they are trying to educate kiddos, young people that are pursuing wildlife management degrees with this idea that hunting no longer needs to be a part of the equation when it comes to wildlife management. Whoa, major red flag, right? How are they going to fund this stuff if they get rid of you and I? Well, they're not. There's no, there's... It's the it's the method that works, and uh, and we're happy to pay our part, right, as sportsmen and women. Um, but uh, a major threat, and um, I had actually a listener send me this information from his department head at Virginia Tech. So, ugh, yeah, we're going to get into that, and then incremental loss, because in just like the Second Amendment, you give an inch, that's never enough. They want more. They want more. They want to kick the door down. So um, we'll talk about, you know, and maybe give a couple historical examples of incremental laws when it applies to the Second Amendment or uh, hunting regulations. Then we will check in with uh, new friends in the form of uh, Michael Maroney and Sam Seaton of Infinite Outdoors. Think like VRBO for hunters. And, you know, leases continue to get more and more expensive. But you, you know, you've got a weekend in December that you want to take the kiddo on his first deer hunt, can't afford a season lease. Well, there's an alternative. And and that's not all they do. Uh, they have lots of other perks, and I'm not sure. I mean, they're going to educate me on Infinite Outdoors today, just like they're going to uh, explain it to you. Oh, and but also landowners might want to take advantage of this because say that they want to hunt their place for X days during the season, but also want to make some money. Hey, uh, I think they have total control of that process with infinite outdoors. So interesting stuff coming up with them at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. I guarantee you that a uh, quick giveaway from Havilon. I've got a Peranta skinning knife here. That's what I use, whether that's in Texas or Africa and always actually the South African trackers and skinners love it when i leave it leave my peranta there with them uh, it's worth it's weight in gold to these guys it's a uh, scalpel surgical scalpel sharp and uh, of course has replacement blades as well we'll give this away to 
one of you lucky guys or gals, uh, just email the word knife. That's knife to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's giveaway. Gabriella Hoffman of the District of Conservation Podcast joins us after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that next step and make the dream of owning your own land reality, then head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to Armasite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal and night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at armorsite.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike, like the 640 contractor. I've got the 320, 640, even better. You can find it all at armorsite.com. Get me right, make me strong, let it out. It's been too long. I don't want to be. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks so much for dropping by. We're all set to check in with our first guest today, longtime friend of the show and host of the District of Conservation podcast, Gabriella Hoffman is here, and uh, we're going to discuss a myriad of anti-hunting ideologies and recent proposals put forth by this current administration, stuff that could negatively affect and impact you and I as sportsmen and women. Uh, but first, this segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. You know, half of the time I find out about some of the stuff that Gabby and I will discuss through SCI's newsletter because they are active right there in D.C. They've got their finger on the pulse of all of this stuff that is aimed at you and I, the sportsmen and women of this country. They do amazing work keeping us informed and fighting to protect our rights. Plus, of course, they've got the conservation component both here domestically and internationally as well. So there's no better group of sportsmen that I have ever been a part of. I'd love for you to join our ranks. For more info, head over to safariclub.org. Well, let's bring her on right now, making her return to the show, Gabby Hoffman. Always a pleasure. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me, Cable. It's good to talk to you, even post-SCI. That was a yeah, lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, congrats on your recent appearance on Fox. That's crazy. So, yeah, talk a little bit about that. What did they have you on to discuss? I talked about environmental stuff, but I felt it was an opportunity to plug in hunting as conservation because... TikTok has been unsurprisingly suppressing different types of content. We hear from friends. I don't use TikTok personally because I know that I would be censored and I, yeah. I'm not comfortable using it. But from friends who engage on the platform, who hunt fish or shoot guns, it's the most censorous of all the media platforms out there. Mm -hmm. And I've seen gun content banned and I know what practices they kind of rely on. And I wanted to plug in the fact that obviously they changed their climate policies to suppress or rather to 
kind of restrict content they deem misleading. So I made the connection that, okay, they talk about sustainability. Are they going to consider hunting sustainable? Are they going to restrict content like that? Why are they restricting gun content, which is arguably, I think, at least 60% of what funds conservation funding under Pittman Robertson. Right. So I felt it was a good opportunity to plug in hunting on the national stage. So I think they were appreciative of that. And I think the guests were like, or the hosts were like, whoa, mm. that's a unique angle. So I hope um, people liked that tidbit. And I recently spoke to Fox News Digital with uh, Safari Club, Sportsman's Alliance, and a few others mm-hmm. about the lead shot ban, which you've talked about at length. But I, I put that idea into the head of the reporter and I was like, you should cover this because there are many attacks on hunting. I hope he follows up with some topics we're gonna talk about today on yeah. uh, the forest service closures, but it seems like the hunting politics angle is starting to get more exposure in national media. So anyway, that whether it's me, you, or anyone else who has the ability to put this perspective out there, we have to do that. And I felt very compelled with the Fox appearances recently to do that uh, digital or on TV. Well, hopefully the first of many, uh, yes. thanks for representing us and, and hopefully, well, <laughs> hopefully living I was in, well. <laughs> uh, reality, right? I mean, yes. That's where we exist as uh, hunters and conservationists, and the funding mechanism is something that the left never wants to account for. Like, okay, we yeah. want to do away with hunting and fishing. Well, who's going to pay for it then? And they don't have an answer. It's just crickets. No, no and so. I think I sent to you and Ryan when that article on the lead shot ban uh, came out from Fox News. Mm-hmm. These so-called biologists, and not every biologist is designed the same way because there are lots of wildlife biologists who don't believe in wholesale lead bans or they don't dismiss hunting as an integral part of conservation. They were telling me that, well, hunters may fund it, but they have little involvement elsewhere. And I'm like, do you live under a rock? <laughs> right. Because like we're, we're involved. I mean, I don't have direct so-called direct involvement. I do give some money. I buy licenses. I wish I could be more involved, but at least nominally I'm involved. And there are many, many people, many groups out there that are far more involved than me personally mm-hmm. speaking. Um, different organizations, you can't dismiss the efforts of RMEF, Safari Club, Ducks Unlimited, all these different groups that put their money where their mouth is, Mm. privately raise a lot of money to help with habitat, to help with wetlands conservation so much. And and for this biologist, so to speak, to be dismissive of it, just to say we're only part of the funding mechanism, but nowhere else, they completely underestimate, you know, the the fact that all these species were recovered because of hunter contributions, because of anglers, uh, for the Dingle Johnson component as well. So and, and and I was going to refute back. I was like, ah, I responded once. I don't want to give the guy more attention. But if if hunters are not part of the landscape or they're a small integral part of this, how come NPR in 2018 said without hunters, conservation goes extinct? NPR is not a friendly source to hunters, generally no. speaking. And so my understanding is if they understood it, how come this biologist didn't? Yeah. Well, I mean, all you have to do is look at Europe where yeah. wildlife is completely privatized Mm -hmm. and hunting has been it is now limited to the uber upper crust like Mm -hmm. of society and it takes place on private land and that's essentially it you know i mean is that is that what we want because if they had their way that's where we would end up certainly yeah um so okay we have a bunch of other stuff to get into today let's start with the left's reaction to the latest mass shooting that one hit pretty close to home for me because i mean like i'm wearing a pair of adidas running shoes right now that i purchased at that outlet mall right it's literally now like in texas 10 minutes from my house um we shop for the kids there all the time for something like that to happen basically in your own backyard it you know it's a tragedy it puts it into perspective that it can happen anywhere mm-hmm. but um no one wants to talk about the real issue i mean just today uh i mean 
these people's bodies are not even cold yet. And President Jackass is tweeting out, once again, Congress must send me a bill banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, enacting universal background checks requiring safe storage, and ending immunity for gun manufacturers. I will sign it immediately. We need nothing less to keep our streets safe. It's weird that he talks about streets there because they don't give a damn about the violence going on in the streets of every blue major city in America. I mean, you defund the police, crime goes up, homicides, gun-related homicides go up, and because there's not more than one victim in a lot of the cases, it's not a mass shooting, and they don't care. They just pretend like it doesn't exist. And, it, and I get it, especially when innocent children get killed in these mass shootings, that pulls at people's heartstrings. But the statistics prove mass shootings are a drop in the bucket when it comes to overall gun-related homicide in our country. Um, and they also skew those stats because they throw in gun-related deaths. Well, suicides are a lot of that, but that's just one person. And, you know. um, but the, the real issue, and I was doing some research on mental health, in 1950, and I understand they probably committed more people to psych wards back then than they probably should have, right? But we had half of the population of what we have 330 million people now. We had half of that then, and we had 500,000 people in psych wards. Today, statistics prove that mental health has degraded to the point where one in five teenagers uh, claim they have some sort of mental issue that they're struggling with, whether that's depression. And it's like one in 10 adults. So we've had this plague, and I believe it's because of the degradation of society, like normalizing stuff like drag shows for children or taking God out of schools. Whether you believe in God or not, if you were to look at the Bible and say, this is a good way to at least live, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's just say that, right? Like, okay, there's some really good information in there that would probably make everyone a better per person. And you take all this stuff away and you you take away the, uh, you know, the family unit of uh, having an actual father figure in the house, um, and you're left with a mental health pandemic. This isn't going to fix anything. Saying taking, disarming the law-abiding citizens will fix nothing. Criminals, mentally ill people are going to get guns, and they're going to do unspeakable things with them. That's really true, and I think you explained the situation well. And I was listening to your governor, Greg Abbott, yesterday on Fox News Sunday, and he actually pointed out something very interesting going back to the rise of crime. Crime is coming to places that were historically safe, mm -hmm. places that are known and notorious for having rampant crime. And this is not a red or blue issue. It's largely because of lack of, you know, lack of discipline, lack of enforcement of penalties against harsh criminals. And this is coming to states regardless of the types of gun laws that they have. Yeah. And as we know, and your listeners know, introducing more gun control doesn't stop potential would-be mass shooters. It, mm -hmm. it largely is underpinned on what are they feeling mentally? Um, can these people be spotted out? And I wouldn't say a red flag law would be the antidote. They rush to that too because they, they think, oh, this is going to be the foolproof remedy. But there are a lot of Fourth Amendment concerns with a blanket red flag law that's also obtained. And I'm still waiting on information from the Allen, Texas shooting. What type of a weapon was used? Do we know? Do you know if it's, I haven't heard if it's an AR-15 or a handgun. Um, and the person no, was 33 I, years old. It was old. not a, it wasn't a handgun. So it was it an AR-15. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thank I God mean, but, for the police officer that, yes, yeah, unlike that the ones in 
Ivaldi that yeah. were told to stand down. This guy was like, well, screw that. I'm engaging this guy. And mm-hmm. like, he put him down very quickly and it still shot a lot of people. But if that, right. if that officer wouldn't have been there to neutralize that threat, I mean, goodness gracious, mm-hmm. this could have been even worse, which it's already terrible. But yeah. But we also have to look into the policy of the outlet mall. I think some individuals had pointed out that it was a gun-free zone. Um, Even with the passage of constitutional carry in Texas, certain localities or rather locations can still institute gun bans privately. So did the gun-free zone, if if we presume it to be a gun-free zone, did it invite this type of crime? Did the guy look to be why was he targeting this? It's it's evil to target any situation, any location. But why did he specifically rule out this place? I think he may have a manifesto. They say that he may have some neo-Nazi. Well, if we see it is the question because right. the trans person that shot up the, the Christian school recently mm-hmm. had a manifesto, and we still have not seen it as the public. Right. And there's a reason for that because they don't want to say, oh, she was targeting Christian kids, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like... And this guy is was Hispanic. Uh, they're trying to paint him as a white supremacist. I don't see how when you're Hispanic, but whatever. Okay. The problem with fellow journalists, I really do hate this. Um, don't give like license to the name. I think we still have a problem of showing the picture and showing the name. And that invites, I think, cap- copycats. And, and people are mm-hmm. still perpetuating this. Um, and, and that's a mistake because we have to learn from, from this that you don't want to do that to elevate copycats. And I don't know why all the media is still continuing to do that. I understand for law, per, uh, law enforcement purposes, they need to identify the suspect. But I think we're straying away from it because media people, unfortunately, I, I wouldn't say they look forward to these type of events, but they anticipate these events and say, okay, when can we jump on this? When can we say, okay, let's look at the weapon? Um, when can we push gun control? Never They're- waste a good tragedy. Which is horrible. I hate. Uh-huh. I hate when anyone you know puts politics to these horrific events. That this first should be a time for healing, figuring out what the motivation of this person was, why they were doing this. We can assess the weapon, of course, but even if it is an AR-15, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at the crime statistics, it's still handguns overwhelmingly that are used in mass shooting events. And this was a mass shooting event in terms of the numbers. It was four or more victims. Uh, sometimes it's different kind of methodology relating to it, uh, whether it's for injured or for injured or deceased. And a lot of people rush to kind of conclusions as to how a mass shooting is defined. But by all traditional or conventional characterizations, this is a mass shooting event, of course. And we're going to see stuff come out. And um, I think, like I said, the, t- the typical playbook is going to follow. Biden, of, of course, is rushing to push gun control. Uh, revoking immunity is not going to stop this because gun manufacturers have no culpability in this evil person's actions. Mm -hmm. Um, they are held to account liability wise for several factors, five or six conditions. So they're not totally immune. Other industries that are far more powerful are immune. So to scapegoat entire industries for people who abuse their products is not feasible. And somebody ran over seven people in South Texas yesterday. Mm -hmm. Are they going to hold the the manufacturers accountable? Vehicle manufacturer. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's absurd. Uh, the person accountable is the one pulling the trigger or the one driving the bus or van exactly. or whatever it is. It's Universal background checks wouldn't have any change on this. We have background checks in place and we have people who were, who handle the NIC system who overlook certain people who are questionable or who sh- should be prohibited possessors. We also have to ask, I would ask this as a journalist, did this person have a previous criminal record? Was he prohibited from owning guns in the course of this event, in the course leading up to him enacting terror in this manner? 
Was he a prohibited possessor? Most likely he probably was, but I would like to see the evidence, you know, confirming or substantiating that claim, but he probably wasn't just a first time offender. I suspect someone like this probably had to compete, uh, commit crimes rather repeatedly. Um, why would someone do this random? Um, usually criminals are repeat offenders. So I, I, I suspect, and want to obviously wait to confirm, but I have a suspicion he probably was not a first time offender. I think he probably had a, an illustrious criminal record. A lot of these mass shooters have, um, some of them have been first time offenders, but a lot of them tend to have previous criminal records, uh, much like the shooter outside of Houston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily we control Congress. And so it's, it's dead on it's, arrival. Yeah, it's gun control. Although I did see this week that a proposed Texas bill to raise the minimum age, uh, required to purchase an AR from 18 to 21 has received bipartisan support. So uh, we'll continue to monitor where that one goes. Well, now that we've addressed the elephant in the room and the unspeakable tragedy that happened in Allen, Texas over, well, it was last weekend. um, Let's go ahead, take a quick break. We'll come back and get into the Biden administration's plan to possibly close 100,000 acres of public land, land that you and I own, to recreational shooting. We'll discuss that, among other things, next. That segment was brought to you by NUMA and the Pathfinder Pant. I don't know how something can be so rugged and yet so comfortable. It is the best pant that I've ever worn from crawling around every corner of Texas to spot and stalking through South Africa's rugged brush country, which is very similar to ours. And uh, and then still looking stylish enough to head over to the pub after the day's hunt. It's the Pathfinder. You'll get 20% off anything you order from NUMA with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out at NUMAoutdoors.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. But all the smoke and the neon keep his pain here. I'll nobody know. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then 3 Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide Scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Time just passes by. She's a red headed woman with a cigarette. Evil in 
Admiral Wade Bowen bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today. We've still got our friend Gabriella Hoffman here with us, and we'll get back into that conversation in just a second. This segment, though, brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy and Big and J Whitetail Attractants. Guess what? Yeah, deer season is coming on, but hog season is always open. And they've got the Pigs Dig It Liquid Attractant, as well as Hogs Hammer It. You can find them both, as well as their entire lineup of Whitetail Attractants right there at BigandJ.com. All right, uh, well, Gabby, let's uh, shift gears. Well, you know, kind of shift gears. We were talking about assaults on the Second Amendment earlier. What we're going to get into now is more of an underhanded, more insidious attempt to cut participation in shooting sports. They're considering closing 100,000 acres of federal land to recreational shooters in, I believe it's mostly in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not going to close it to hikers, bird watchers, campers, anglers, granola-eating hippies. They're just not going to do it, but they're going to close it to anyone that wants to shoot a gun there. The problem is that I own that land and you own that land. Um, So it's clearly a target. It's targeting the Second Amendment and, and gun owners. Um, it's a slippery slope too, because, and we'll talk about, you know, the, the incremental closures and how the, you know, once you take something away, you don't very, very rarely do you ever get it back. And then instead it's the other way. It's like, well, what else can we take away? And the next thing for me, it's very clear. be like hunting and trapping. Well, we did away with recreational shooting. Hooray. What can we do now? That's a good encapsulation of the rule. And I think generally speaking, before I speak to this perspective rule proposal directly, this is how incremental bans are devised. This is Mm -hmm. their thinking. They say, well, we have to recognize a problem. They claim, and this is not just a new law. This has been kind of dabbled with since 2013. And I'm reading directly from kind of a a guiding document that said that um, the reasons for the ban, they attribute it to three reasons, residential housing density, high use recreation areas on national forest service and other governmental lands and existing conflicts between recreational shooting and other uses on NFS and other governmental lands. If it really is about safety and residential density, I don't know, you know, maybe I'd have a different opinion, but I think that was, those are just reasons drawn out of a hat at random. Yeah, well, it's a hundred thousand acres. That's yeah. like my dear lease is 4,000 acres. Right. There's not a place on there where you can't safely shoot a rifle if you know, right, you know, right. if you're pointing it in direction, you're like, okay, this is safe. I know nobody's over there, or there's a big hill right here that I'm shooting into. It's ridiculous. It absolutely is. Acres. Yeah. And I think it would go against Dingle Johnson and Pittman Robertson. And they're saying, well, under you know those existing laws, we actually do have a reason to ban these type of opportunities. And I would think defenders of both of these seminal conservation laws would look and say, there is nothing in either of these laws that permits you to close target shooting. And they say, well, there'll be exemption. There will be exemptions for hunting. I don't believe that. I, and then how many other carve outs are they going to give? And they are debating between whether or not to make this a permanent closure or a temporary closure. How can we hold them to it if it's a temporary closure? And why wouldn't it give way to a permanent closure? I right. think they're going to err on a permanent closure side. And Colorado is becoming increasingly difficult to do hunting and certain other activities it's gun control has passed terrible in the state. what they've done to that state that it's just it used to be it used to be the west like yeah like wyoming west, and montana with western values and like pro-gun pro-hunting and it is it colorado has changed so much and 
Yeah, yeah Colorado it's a shame. residents. Yeah, Colorado shooters and hunters are being attacked on all sides at the state level from Denver, and then also coming from the federal side too. Mm. They can't catch a break, and it's very disappointing because when you have attacks coming from both of those levels, what is to say that's not going to happen and transpire in other states? We see this in Washington State happening with the bear hunt, mm. um, with the redesigning, a reimagining of wildlife agencies. Back to this rule specifically, we have seen this type of prohibitions under the guise of protecting or preservation before. This has happened in other areas. I want to point to the case study. I think I referenced it on your podcast before, but if not, I'm happy to talk about it here. California put a similar proposal to protect marine life areas off of California's coast from Santa Barbara to San Diego under the guise of stopping overfishing, protecting mm -hmm. coral reefs, and making sure that certain fish species are not fished out to extirpation. The American Sport Fishing Association, which runs Keep America Fishing, they're a great outlet. They have worked alongside the shooting sports interests to stop lead ban prohibitions uh, because it affects lead, lead tackle too. So on this side, on um, marine protection areas, they have pointed specifically to these closures and said they were proposed as a good faith effort to restore, you know, imperiled species, protect areas. But recreational anglers never got that access back. And I remember this because this is one of the first political issues that really animated me to start covering this as a journalist, because I found out that I won't be able to go offshore fishing in California in these really nice areas close to the shore. Like, why is that? It didn't make sense to me. So this is an issue that animated me first. And, and I saw that and I, I read, you know, ASA and, and what they were saying. And to me, there's so many parallels to this proposal, to the lead prohibitions, to the 60 million acres closing in Alaska. And they have, this was in 2015, 2016. They stayed I had the ASA on recently when they were talking about these, uh, there's like, I don't know, 50 of this one kind of whale that mm -hmm. exists along the uh, Atlantic coast. Yeah, and, the North Atlantic right whale. I've been talking about that yeah. too, if you want to talk about that as well. Uh -huh. So and, and they're, like, they're hurting we have to, commercial and recreational anglers. From, yeah. from Florida to that Jersey, rule. we have to say that you can't go over X knots per hour. Yes, on the vessel rule. Because you might hit one of these whales. Like, And there's no science. like one of those whales gets hit like every 10 years you know and it's just like but but we have to we have to take a shot at commercial fishing and recreational uh, yeah and because we have to protect these whales that well, do, do they really need protection or are they struggling for some other reason which for is offshore wind actually yeah. if we're being honest here yeah. they, they they care about the whales to stop recreational and commercial fishing and even commuting by boat um those new england areas a lot of people commute by vessels and this vessel rule, it limits like according to your listeners probably heard it by the size for up to six months of the year. And so it's it, they, those areas become no go zones, much like with this marine protection area. That area has essentially become a no go zone for recreational anglers. Mm. And you can't fish there and you lose that access and you never gain it back because of those who steward California natural resources. They're preservationists. They're not uh, in support of you know recreational angling very much. They don't like hunting. But um, the wildlife agency is in a pickle. They've been trying to do these recruitment efforts to say, see, we have hunting opportunities after so many years of neglecting it. And I will say they weren't probably the best at communicating it because I never knew about hunting when I grew up in California. Not saying I couldn't do it, but they didn't advertise it as much. Fishing was very easy to advertise, but they kind of, you know, shot themselves in the foot here, metaphorically speaking, by neglecting this area. Now they're having to kind of recoup for it and, re and compensate for it. And, and they have people at the helm of their agency who don't represent our interests. But going back to this forest service rule, I put this case study in California out there for your listeners because, and similarly with the vessel rule, creating no-go zones, they claim to be for public waters and public lands access, and they're proposing all these crazy rules. Uh, similarly, I've talked to you offhand about 30 by 30. This would take 
those no-go zones and those marine protection areas to a whole nother level. Um, similarly with national monuments and then preparing those to become national parks, which are the most restrictive of any public lands. National parks are great, but not every public land has to be a national park. I think that's where a lot of people miss it. But there are different attacks very overtly and very covertly that are coming in the form of these rule changes or these initiatives. But this Forest Service rule, like we have been talking about, it would lead to incremental changes. You'll lose that access and you'll never be able to get it back. Well, that's, and that's the goal, right? So how do we limit participation if we can't mm -hmm. enact gun, anti-gun legislation? Well, we can limit access and therefore drop participation. We'll take away where they can exactly. actually participate in shooting sports. And then, you know, essentially we drop participation that way. So completely underhanded uh, backdoor way to do one it. Point. They love to top the $1.6 billion generated from shooters, hunters, and anglers. They, they're like, oh, it's tied to the bipartisan infrastructure bill and this. I'm like, these have nothing to do with your crazy tax and spend bills. Mm -hmm. don't, don't pervert Pittman-Robertson or Dingle Johnson with these monstrosities of bills, which will have nothing to bolster. Like we talked about, we, we want piecemeal bills. We don't want these gargantuan bills that have nothing to do with conservation diluting the purpose of these two very seminal laws. No. And they continue to love this. So what happens when you enact gun control of these prohibitions? You're going to see a diminishment of these funds. And mm -hmm. then you won't have you know so much to, to brag about. But they love to ride the coattails of sportsmen all the while backstab them with these covert prohibitions and, and restrictions to access. And if people don't see this now, I don't know when they will. And I know you have been doing a good job trying to educate your listeners. I've been trying to educate my listeners and social media followers about this, not because you know, I'm a Republican and a conservative and I oppose everything, you know, vehemently about Biden. I personally yeah. do not like and support their agenda, but I can come about it objectively independent of my, you know, opposition to them and say like, well, it, you're more it, professional than me because I don't ever hear you calling president dumbass, but uh. <laughs> I'm not going to, to resort to name calling. You're, you're more at liberty to do that. But for me, you know, I try to be objective about it. I, everyone has their biases. I'm open about my biases. Well, that's why they'll invite you on Fox and they were, they were like, no, we can't have that the Texas guy. No, 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 no. But the thing <laughs> is, like, I'm even with my biases and my opposition to their policies, I'm reading straight from their proposed rule. It right. states very clearly what they want to do. You don't have to be a Republican. You don't have to be a Democrat to see point blank what exactly they're doing. If it says closure, justification for it. You have to take them at face value. And, and I see repeated trends of this. We, we've talked about this at length on the Safari Club podcast here on your podcast. You've come on mine. There's a trend going on. And this is very troubling because everyone's like, well, no, hunting is not under attack. And eh, you, you crazy white ring extremists. And here I can riff on it more openly, you know, than I do on some other well, platforms. Someone just pull up the Sportsman's Alliance uh, Instagram page and you will see all it is is just updates where hunting is under attack on a yes. state level or federally. And it's, and it's not a partisan bent. It's not a partisan lens either. Sportsman's Alliance is a nonprofit. They specifically show and you can identify what states these are. Blue states. Mm -hmm. What are they doing? They are promoting and passing prohibitions on hunting and even fishing. Um, red states are not doing so. Uh, there are bills. The opposite. See Florida. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we could talk about that a little later. Yeah. Um, and, at, and you could see at the federal level who is in charge, who controls the chambers, who controls the White House. And unfortunately, it has to be viewed in a partisan prism. Um, but it, again, conservation shouldn't be partisan, but it's being made out to be partisan by people, especially on the left. Um, and a lot of people in the middle don't see that yet. I hope they do. Yeah. Um, and they're and and we've criticized what about the even hunters that voted for Biden. They have to be thinking, <laughs> wow. Um, 
Hmm. Well, I didn't like see Trump because he though. was kind of a arrogant jerk. But uh, you know, Biden's going to be a friend of sport. No, we yeah. gained access under Trump, and we have mm-hmm. only lost yep. under Biden. He is not a friend of ours. Anyone that's a sportsman and says, "Oh, I'm voting Democrat," I get your head out of your ass. What are you doing? <laughs> either you think either you're just kind of a fringe sportsman and this other stuff matters way more to you. But if you actually are voting because you think the left is more friendly to hunting and shooting, you are living in la la land people. Unfortunately. Yeah. I think some of our friends in the middle who want to give deference to this administration, they think because it doesn't personally affect them, it's not happening. We've Mm -hmm. seen this in Montana, you know, when it had Steve Bullock previously before Jan Forte came to office, a lot of, you know, middle of the road sportsmen were kind of dismissive. Oh, Democrats are not attacking this. And then they see federally what's happening and they're like, whoa, I didn't know this was happening. And certainly, you know, every, and, and some of the people, some of these folks will say, well, Republicans have attacked hunting. There have been instances and, and we've called them out for it. The return act is a horrible piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. It would completely upend and undercut conservation funding, but that's only one instance. It's not, it's not, you know, saying that they can't, you know, potentially propose other bad legislation, but that's the only and conservative piece of- sportsman. You know, we were very outspoken when mm-hmm. Representative Clyde introduced that. And I like yeah. you know his take on the Second Amendment. I don't agree with him or Ted Cruz or Mike Lee on their take on private lands. Uh, I mean, on public lands like they're important to me, which is going back to this. A lot of people that say they're sportsmen, sportsmen and voted left did it because they love public land. But this, these people are closing public land access that you voted exactly. for. Exactly. Yeah. And like I said, it's going to come with more national monument designations. I don't know. Have you researched into the El Paso opening? It's not as many acres as the one in Nevada, but the Nevada one, I worry since it's over half a million acres, that could potentially lead to some closures because those designations often don't allow for scientific inquiry as it comes through wildlife management. So there have been historical incidences in Arizona, Utah, and other states where these national monument expansions often don't account for hunting and fishing, and like they often exclude claw. this activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bears Ears has done that a Bear, lot too. Bears Ears, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no, we can be nuanced in terms of like you know who has done egregious stuff on public lands, but the the totality, the millions of acres that we're seeing potentially closed under this administration has me very worried. Um, regardless of my being a conservative, if I'm a public lands advocate, I'd be extremely worried about all the attacks from different cylinders coming uh, from this administration, from this Department of Interior. And, you know, it, it really is concerning. I think you have to look at it that way. Yeah. Um, well, SCI put it to Deb Howland when she was nominated by Biden. Are yes. you for no Protecting net loss? No net loss. Yeah. Yeah. No net loss. And she wouldn't answer. And here we go, because clearly, that wasn't her agenda. Preservation is not conservation. It's the biggest I told you so in the history of ever. And, you know, big shocker. We told you what was going to happen if you put this man in office. And still hunters and anglers somehow voted for him. Blows my mind. Uh, but we harp on that a lot on this show and for good reason. Because every week they're doing some other dumb thing that violates our rights as sportsmen and women. You mentioned incremental bans. So you grew up in California. Um you know, they banned mountain lion hunting in the 90s. Mm-hmm. When I first started the show 2009, it was like maybe 2010, I got wind of they were trying to ban uh, black bear and bobcat hunting with hounds. So give them a year, they banned that. Okay. Now, in I think it was 2020, they banned bobcat hunting completely. So you couldn't do it with hounds in 2013 or 2012, whenever it was they banned it. Uh, and then now you can't even hunt 
bobcats. They're a protected animal. A bobcat. Like they're vermin in where I live. We have them in the neighborhood. They're cool to see. I, I like bobcats, right? But we just treat them like uh, any other non-game animal. Like yeah, there's so many of them. They can, th just like coyotes, thrive in any environment all over North America. And we have to treat them like they belong on the endangered species list. Like it's a, it's a joke. But that's it's incrementally absurd. you can just see 90s mm -hmm. mountain lions. Then we take hound hunting and then we just say, nope, you can't kill a bobcat. Okay. Yeah, that's what that what excuse me, that's what's at stake here. And I want to point to your listeners too, and, and we can even do future episodes on this, but there are efforts to remake wildlife agencies to divorce hunters from critical conservation decisions. We're seeing this in California. We've seen this in Washington state with the black bear hunt. Mm -hmm. We saw this in New Jersey, but New Jersey miraculously was able to restore their black bear hunt. And the governor who campaigned on this very issue, I haven't seen that before. Yeah. It was um, because of the he was forced to have to retract bear conflict. Like they needed to take some bears <laughs> yes and uh, yeah, he was forced to have to reignite and and restart the season because it just got so bad with all human bear conflicts and it really hurts the bears at most you know human bear conflicts are terrible and and we all want to mitigate those but people forget that wild animals are very you know aggressive towards each other and so it would decimate even those wild populations too but a group that we all have to be worried about is called wildlife for all and they're out of new mexico and they're mm -hmm. very aligned with you know the sierra clubs the nrdc's the cbd's all these groups and they're going to start to gain traction and they have been given legitimacy at it was a wildlife management institute conference i forget exactly what it was but um andrew mckean had written about this how they were given acceptance at one of the wildlife conferences recently they sponsored a happy hour a panel and giving legitimacy to these groups would completely undermine conservation um we can work with people maybe sometimes we can work with like the nature conservancy and a handful of others who want to actually promote stewardship Right. There are some opportunities, you know, through those kind of established groups, but virulently anti-hunting groups. No, we should not mm -hmm. be working with them because they have a stated purpose to make and remake wildlife agencies. You're letting the fox working. into the hen house. Is exactly. What you're doing. Exactly. And, uh, and, and I, and I want to uh, expand on that and, go, you know, kind of go back to the bobcat thing. Why I've been so adamantly opposed to Texans from outlines is because mm -hmm. here we want to implement mandatory harvest we want to do away with uh you know x kind of traps you know uh okay what what is their end goal it's the same thing as what you would have what you've seen in california they exist texans from outlines ultimately nothing would make them happier than to have mountain lions protected in texas mm -hmm. that is the end game you can it's when you have people on your board that have financed um a smut attack job basically on predator hunting on on coyote hunting in in the form of pam hart like she paid for that film and it's called it's for project coyote and she's on the board and you don't think that her in game is to ban mountain lion? these people are you've lost your minds if you don't if you can't connect the dots that ultimately they would have the biggest party in the world if they could say we got we got mountain lions protected in texas that's their goal right and what's to stop them from prohibiting bear hunting we already see those efforts then they're going to say you know what why don't we protect elk mm -hmm. why don't we protect deer Oh, maybe even duck hunting. How dare they kill ducks? We see this oh, in Australia. Well, we would have protected elk, but the wolves ate them all. So <laughs> <laughs> we can't do that. Um, so here, here's something interesting I want to read to you. And this was sent to me by a follower who's a grad student at uh, Virginia Tech pursuing a degree oh, in wildlife nice. management because it's the, uh, the wildlife for all mentality. And so he says, I'm DMing you again to follow up on the post I reacted to a couple of years ago. 
I transferred to a university. I'm going to graduate in a couple weeks with a wildlife conservation degree. Yesterday, the department head spoke to my senior class, among other things, told us that many wildlife agencies are strongly leaning away from the North American model of wildlife conservation, citing that it is not inclusive enough. See that word, inclusive? We see that a lot in Did he societal. say the Virginia department head said this? It's Virginia Tech. Um, so he said, citing that it's not inclusive enough and has a game species focus. This was very concerning for wildlife as a whole and also for the future of hunting. That was the student's opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, his department had said that many state fish and wildlife agencies have been meeting to potentially shift their focus to a one health approach, which with a Google search isn't an idea proposed by the CDC and WHO, the WHO. <laughs> not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but it might be an interesting subject to look into for your show. So I have emailed that department head and asked to have an Ryan? interview with him. Ryan uh, is the director. If he said that, that, that astounds me. Um, I don't know him personally, but I have. Maybe his name's not Ryan. Him. He sent me Snodgrass is his last name. Let me. Joel Snodgrass, professor and department head of. Uh, oh, I thought you meant the agency. If it no, was no, no, no. Sorry. No, this is just his, this is the department head of his, of Vir oh. Virginia. Of Virginia Tech Fish and Makes Wildlife. Sense. Okay, okay. Yes. Not the Virginia Department of um, Wildlife Resources. No, no, no. Because no, no, Ryan, no. Yeah. yeah, our our agency is great. No, they will never support redoing it. Okay. So the Virginia yeah. Tech Natural Resources Department is pushing this. That's scary. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, very but scary. I, but I feel like this is not going to be unique to Virginia Tech. If they're no. doing it, it's going to be in the university system as right. they're trying to shift this mentality mm -hmm. away from hunters and on, you know, but again, Going back to what we already discussed, okay, well, the elephant in the room is who's funding it now? Mm -hmm. what, these anti-hunting groups are just going to pony up billions, hundreds of million dollars a year to support wildlife conservation? No, they're not going to do that. Right. We all know that. So the wildlife loses because there's now no funding to support mm -hmm. the wildlife. They don't have a value anymore. So, like, it's a nice idea. We could... It's a fairy tale is what it is. It really is. Like we can just manage all this stuff, but we don't have any money to manage it. So then it just is left to its own devices. Crazy. Sidebar, if the listener wants to connect with me, that I, that actually may be worth exploring. If he has documentation, I'll write about it because it is mm -hmm. my state. And I have actually a friend who's a graduate of the, the school too. And I think she would not be pleased to hear one of the professors say that. So sidebar, connect me to the person if they're interested. Um, yeah. I would love to explore that with them because you would get a lot of outrage, I think, from our state wildlife agency, which I am unfortunately confused with the, 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 the university with Virginia tech. Um, because like I said, want to reiterate our state wildlife agency is great. They've worked across different administrations. They're wonderful. They understand the conservation model, but if the school is going against what the state agency and every state agency is doing, um, that's very problematic what they're teaching these kids. Yeah. Um, and, and which those is why he reached out to me because yeah. he's not an idiot. He was like, this yeah. is not, wildlife management because those is... are the last vestiges of teaching future conservationists and if it i mean higher education is completely corrupt if they yeah. corrupt this last entity which has largely been unaffected by these um, i mean certainly they put the climate alarmism into their curriculum as well but if they're teaching them away from the north american model that is highly concerning and i would absolutely love to do a piece on that and maybe do an investigation into not yeah. just virginia tech but anywhere else where they're trying to do this well that term that he used which is like if you want to talk about a term that, and I don't get triggered, but it, it, it's a term that's alarming is when they, when someone uses the term inclusivity, you know, like it doesn't mean inclusivity. Uh, uh yeah. Uh, but that's means... what the professor said, you know, it's not <laughs> inclusive enough. So yeah, that's a, that's a woke word if there ever was one. Um, 
Florida, let's let's talk about something on positive. a high note. Let's yeah. end on a high note. Yes. And so I don't know if you have this handy, but how many states now? Because Florida just did this. How many states have enacted a right to hunt and fish bill? And ultimately, what does that like? What does that do for us? Sure. On the books, there are 23 state laws. Florida, pending if it goes before the ballot, it will go on the ballot next year. And if they pass it, I don't know if they have to reach a certain threshold or if it's just a majority threshold. But if Florida passes it next year on the ballot, it'll become the 24th state. And I think there were a few other ballot initiatives deliberated in some other states. Oregon had one this year, but I don't think it advanced and was signed Shocker. into law. Um, but several others. I think um, Missouri is missing out. Like a lot of states are missing out on it. I think Texas has it. Um, we in Virginia have it. But what this essentially does is it basically states in the state constitution that there's an essential right to hunt and fish in your state. Uh, buffering, obviously, your state wildlife agency and the stuff that they do, um, protecting wildlife, recognizing the purpose that hunters and anglers play. And I think it also acts as a conduit uh, to protect against any instances of hunter and fisher harassment. Um, mm. You probably you're familiar with those laws. So oh, yeah. I think all that it does is to help further insulate and protect these activities from future attacks. It's kind of a preemptive protection against any attempt to erode, uh, perhaps to remake wildlife agencies that can act as a buffer against it. So let's say um, I'm trying to think of a state that could potentially flip. Let's say I don't think Georgia is going to have this problem. It's a very you know interesting situation federally with the senators, but statewide Georgia, I think, is going to go back or continue to be very Republican. But let's say a state like Georgia down the road elects a Democrat governor. They have a right to hunt and fish amendment, from my understanding. Um, and let's say a Democrat administration comes in. I think because they have that constitutional amendment in place, it prevents any kind of, you know, funny business from happening. I have to look at it legally if it does protect it from that. But I think it could be used and justified to say, sorry, you cannot remake the wildlife agency in this fashion. So-called inclusive, more democratic as they bill it, but it's not inclusive or democratic when you're taking away stakeholders from decision making abilities. But I think um, I would like to see I would wonder if this would ever be codified federally. I don't know if any bills such to to elevate the right to hunt and fish federally has ever been passed. Um, but it'd be interesting if someone does propose it in the future, recognizing that these well, attacks... it won't be this administration. No, no, no. If we get a Republican <laughs> administration, maybe someone in Congress will look to be like, you know, we need extra assurances to ensure that hunting and fishing are not eroded. And then they could look to and say, well... Every state has a hunter harassment or angler harassment provision stating that if you interfere with lawful taking of game or fish, you will face penalties. I wonder if that's a, a pretext that they can use to say that you need to protect it. Um, but but there, the Floridians that I spoke to, I interviewed one of the bills sponsored, Representative Lauren Mello, and two of my friends who were involved in the grassroots side of it. And they said they recognized that uh, she specifically pointed to Washington State and all these states that are New Mexico that are passing these prohibitions at the state level because there's no right to hunt and fish amendment. She said, I want to make sure that the Florida I grew up in, the Florida that allowed me to fish, to explore the outdoors, stays that way. And we need this amendment to ensure that that heritage is protected for years to come. Mm -hmm. And I think it also has to do with the State Wildlife Agency continuing to recognize that hunters and anglers are the primary drivers of these conservation decisions. Um, even if it's not outwardly stated like that, I think that's what you can interpret the that provision to have. But not even half the country, just under half the country has these provisions. Um, I think your listeners can, if you go to Ballotpedia, you can see which state has it, which state doesn't. Um, there's a partial one, I think, in Rhode Island and California. I think they recognize the right to fish, but not the right to hunt. And mm -hmm. more states 
I think people, if they're very interested in, in protecting these activities, you could look to maybe telling your local representative to pass it um, to, again, protect any future eroding of these activities. But they're good buffers. I would love to see a national one potentially deliberated. We'll see if that ever happens. But these are good measures at the state level to maybe protect against and be a bulwark against any attacks at the federal level. I think for for legal challenges, these could be cited and used as as a buffer to say you're eroding the hunting and fishing outdoor heritage. You can't do that citing these laws. So let's say if someone challenges the closures due to lead prohibitions or Alaska prohibitions, you know, of 60 million acres or these Forest Service closures, they can point to PR, Dingle Johnson and these state amendments and say you're completely eroding state law. You're yeah. eroding, you know, these protections and, and you're going to undercut funding. You're going to undermine what's been working for almost 100 years. So I think these could be good also for legal challenges as well. So, I, yeah. So it's something that sounds nice, right? On the surface. So oh, we have the right to hunt fish and we should all be excited about that. But you just did a great job of explaining why they're important, really, um, other than just, you know, a nice headline. Right. Yeah. Um, so, OK, well, cool stuff on that front. Um, I've certainly enjoyed the conversation today as always, Gabby. Always Very well-rounded as always, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, folks, check out Gabby's podcast, the District of Conservation podcast. Uh, she does a great job there. And it is always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Thank you, Cable. A pleasure to join you. And let's do this again. Come back on yeah. mine too. Absolutely love to do it. There she goes, Gabriella Hoffman, a longtime friend of the program and uh, a great resource on all things politics as far as how they intertwine with hunting and the second amendment um that segment of the show brought to you by stealth cam and trigger time kennels my friend rusty hagland uh, not only did they breed little jojo uh, but she also spent 11 months there going through an extensive retriever training program and uh yeah she's pretty much a machine at this point uh so in love with this dog and so appreciative of their work. If you're looking for a great bloodline or if you've got a retriever that you need to have trained, uh, hit them up. You can find Trigger Time Kennels on Facebook. Uh, coming up next, we'll head west and check in with Michael Maroney and Sam Seaton of Infinite Outdoors. Who are they? What do they do? We'll discuss after the break on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. See wheels burning in the night. Take this cowboy home on a midnight ride. On a midnight ride. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Cable here for Secure It Gun Storage, the gun storage system that caters to your specific needs. Lightweight safes that allow you to customize the interior to fit your firearm collection. I would know, I've got four of them in my house. It's decentralized storage that keeps me organized and never more than arm's length away from a firearm. The storage system keeps my guns and optics from ever touching or rubbing against each other as well. To check out their full lineup of safes and storage systems, just head over to secureitgunstorage.com and you can thank me later. I heard you sing the first time 
At the local Legion Hall The smoky air made your eyes red They were staring straight through me Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. We're all set to get to know uh, a little bit about Infinite Outdoors in the form of CEO and co-founder Sam Seaton and uh, Director of Marketing and Lead Biologist Michael Moroni. But first, this segment brought to you by Vortex Optics and the new Razer HD 4000 GB rangefinder takes the top-tier laser rangefinder out there and builds in an onboard geoballistic solver, meaning you download the app, you put in your caliber and your bullet, you get your range, and boom, Dunsky. It tells you exactly what adjustment to make. 4,000-yard uh, detection range, and you'll save 10% when you use that promo code LONESTAR10 when you check out at eurooptic.com. Okay, uh, well, let's get into our next discussion. Joining us now from Infinite Outdoors, it's my pleasure to welcome Sam Seaton and Michael Maroney to the show. Yeah, Great thanks for here. having us. First of all, let's get to know you each just a little bit. Uh, we'll start with Sam. Where are you from and what's your favorite thing to hunt? All right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Colorado. Uh, grew up spent time between a, a ranch in a, near Buena Vista, Colorado, and then northern colorado near near windsor um uh -huh. so spent most of my life there until uh until everybody else discovered it's a pretty cool spot and then moved north to wyoming which is where we uh where our headquarters for infant outdoors is now um and then yeah favorite thing to hunt is it's got to be got to be archery elk that's that's hard yeah. to beat no oh, i agree 100 percent. yeah uh and uh michael what about you um, yeah, also from Colorado, um, kind of been all over the state, lived up in Steamboat in the northwest corner for a large chunk of it. Um, and then I'm currently in Fort Collins, working my way north to Wyoming here soon. But mm -hmm. um, favorite thing to hunt depends on the season, I guess. It, it seems to be a rotating door. But um, if I had to say, I mean, I can't say archery elk because that's everybody's pick, but um, <laughs> I, uh, it's still my favorite, but good spring turkey hunts hard to beat. I'd, I'd oh, say yeah. that's, I mean, that's right there. It's, uh, elk with it that can't smell kind of thing. So, right. <laughs> but, right. We have, uh, one, well, our season ends this weekend. Yeah. We're, uh, but we've been going for six weeks now. So nice. It's coming. It's winding down. Yeah. yeah. We're lucky enough. We get to hunt through the end, uh, end of this month. So a few more weeks left. Right. But you'll probably start it later than us. Yeah, we started, well, some states are early. They start, uh, usually it's like second week of, of April, sometimes the first week for archery only, and then goes all the way through the end of May. Okay. We but, start, we have a south zone that starts two weeks ahead of, of our north zone here. Okay. So that started like mid-March, and then ours typically, north zone opens up like April, first weekend of April. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sport. Good length season. We're typically fighting snow the first few weeks, anyways. So. Uh, yeah. No, we're we just fight rattlesnakes, really. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Even better. And torrential, like you know, spring rains here and there. Yeah. But, uh, no. Other than that. Um, okay. Well. Cool. So I guess one thing to point out is that it seems like Colorado kind of sucks because you guys left and. It's, <laughs> it's getting you there. Know, 
Yeah, it's so it's so sad what's happened to that state because it's yeah. beautiful. It's like California. It's an ab- absolutely beautiful state, but it's just been ruined by leftist ideologies. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? I just call it Colorado now. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of that, a lot of the same yeah. same poisonous ideas polluted it. But and and you know wh- whether whether you fall on one side or the other on social issues, there's no denying that the left ruins hunting. Just that's what they do. Like. That's where all of the anti-hunting legislation comes from. It's where all anti-gun legislation comes from. And there's just no denying that. So it sucks. What it, And it's and it's urban areas, Boulder and Denver, ruining mm-hmm. it. You know, uh, yeah. you, you go to somewhere like Seattle and or, or um, Washington State, and it's, you know, Seattle uh, by and large. And Oregon's got Portland. And it's that's just the way it is. Those liberal urban areas tend to screw it up for the, the good old boys. Yeah, ballot box biology, like to like mm-hmm. to say, it's yeah. just voting with emotion instead of that. I mean, try not to. I mean, we got a lot of, you know, some employees and friends that obviously fall on the left. But as far as what's best for hunting, you know, it's it's kind of a pretty pretty clear pretty clear line where the majority of the uh, conflicts are and what you got to do to protect our our sport. Yep, hundred um, percent. So, talk a little bit about Infinite Outdoors who you guys are and what services you provide to the hunting community. Yeah. Um, I guess it, it kind of wraps into um, my upbringing as growing up on a, on a ranch and, you know, coming out from that, that rancher's perspective, but in a nutshell, infant outdoors is it's a, uh, it's a platform to help improve the access for everybody. Um, kind of create a new, a new, uh, a new market, if you will, um, that can also help landowners make money and then get a new type of access. So essentially we're a do-it-yourself platform for hunting and fishing on private land. The only difference is we as a company, we don't hold any leases. Everything is between the actual hunter or fisherman and that and that landowner. We just have the, the technology that helps um, facilitate that. You can uh, go on our mobile app and, and book directly from that landowner. Everything's within within the app. Um, mm-hmm. and then we just help with the conservation side of things. So just kind of a blend between, uh, an, an access, uh, platform and ensuring better conservation on these private lands. So if I'm going to take advantage of the platform, am I, you're hooking me up with a landowner and is there like some kind of calendar where I see open dates or do I approach him about leasing it for the season or how does like how does that play out within y'all's platform yeah so it's kind of if you've ever used like any sort of uh platform or an app or anything to even book a hotel room or things like that it's it's mm-hmm. very similar to that where you can go onto the property page whether it's on the the website or on the app and you'll look through see photos see descriptions things like that and then you can look at the calendar and you can pick available dates so all of our stuff is typically dailies uh some things are up to five days for say an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt, things like that but a lot of it's all the majority of it is all like for the day um or for a, a group of days so it's not we're not uh leasing things uh yeah for a month or for the year or anything like that so kind of allows for the the main idea behind that is it allows for more people to get access to these properties so we're, we're opening it up to a, a wider range of people and also allows the landowners to still have control. So if they want to hunt it, they can block off days that they want access to it or 
you know, it also allows us to let the properties rest. So we're not just letting them get over hunted. We can have harvest control and stuff like that. So, so I wonder if Matt Ranella would think this is uh, better than someone leasing something for the whole season, because it does let more people have the opportunity to hunt the place. But uh, now what he said on the show the other week was uh, least honey isn't hunting at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I listened to that one this morning and I was like, wow, well, <laughs> our episode's going to be uh, quite opposite, the opposite of what, what he was talking yeah, about. And obviously there. being from Texas and, you know, I have a, I have a deer lease here. Then I have another one in Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I couldn't, disagree more with that take and then most of the stuff he said i don't agree with you know i think yeah. there's some truth to the fact that social media can be a double-edged sword depending how we use it but um and everybody uses it so i don't use social media but i did just have jim shockey on my podcast if anyone yeah, wants exactly. to listen to it you know like <laughs> so it's kind of hard to hate on it when you have to use it for your business so right <laughs> Find the hand that feeds you. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was one other funny thing that I meant I should have nailed him to the cross for it when he said it, but I it's until I went back and was editing, I was like, wait a second. When he said uh, I was saying how like BHA is anti-gun, and I know the head of yeah. BHA has told a friend of mine we should not own ARs. And yeah. that said, I don't think we should own ARs either. I said, Okay, well, that's a big problem for me fundamentally. But uh but then he said the guy hunts on my wife's ranch with a gun. Like, so his wife owns a ranch. I was yeah, like, I know. oh, I should have run. <laughs> I heard that too. And I was like, yeah. wait a second. Uh, you, yeah. How is this? Yeah. But uh, he also doesn't like conservation nonprofits. You guys work with two uh, that I'm a huge fan of, uh, Ducks Unlimited. I was just out at their huge expo here in Texas this past weekend. Took the yeah. kids. They love it. Do you, I mean, I've been involved with them for 15 years probably and i'm proud to be on a local committee here we throw a great banquet um and they've been a long time friend of my show and then um while we were there i renewed my um mule deer foundation membership my yeah. son got to pick out a cap and they gave him a buck knife it was pretty cool 35 bucks you you get to renew your membership and they give you a buck knife and a hat like yeah, he yeah. was on <laughs> cloud nine um but how do you guys uh partner up with with those nonprofits? Yeah, um, <clears throat> there's there's a few different ways that we that we partner with them. One is from a uh, just a donation perspective. So like like our our app when you join us, it has two layers. One's just the free layer, shows you all the public data for the country. You can just hang out. But then the uh, the paid tier that allows you to to book these these private ranches and get some other discounts on gear. You also get to choose which um, conservation nonprofit or or what. Um, we have some like military nonprofits and youth organizations to help get, get kids into the, into the outdoors. So you actually get to choose where you want um, part of your membership money to fund. So some is direct donations. And then we, and then we have uh, um, some more formal partnerships where we actually can do some projects and help get these different organizations access to this, this private land too, that needs to be managed. You can't, you can't just manage the, the public land. You need, it's a, mm -hmm. these animals, live all over the place um and then michael's recently done some more specific stuff like du i'll let him kind of speak to and michael you're actually a biologist correct yeah that was uh my that's what i went to school for and then before this i i did some work with some fisheries work kind of was my my background so um but yeah with regards to like the nonprofits, like we recently recently met with uh the ducks unlimited chapter one of them down in uh colorado state university and and kind of Talk to them about the idea, hoping to kind of create more of a formal partnership with these small grassroots kind of uh, 
chapters Mm -hmm. to help them. Like we see that, you know, a lot of college kids, they're in these, they run these chapters at their universities and then they want to get into that, into the conservation world and things like that. So we have that direct link with not only these, the bigger entities, but also with these landowners to help them do these smaller projects, get into some grassroots things. And then similarly with like Mule Deer Foundation to help, like Sam said, help coordinate our efforts, the conservation efforts across public and private boundaries, right? Like mm-hmm. up in Wyoming, we have so much and Colorado really across the West, there's a ton of public ground, but there's also these huge landowners of private ground and there's kind of a disconnect there. So we have the connections from the private side so we can help these organizations kind of merge those two things. Okay. And, and yeah, I think the management that occurs on private land versus public is something that needs to be emphasized. Um, and I want to take a break and then I want to get into that because uh, I think especially some Western folks who are like, DIY public land is the only way to go. Uh, I think they completely missed the boat on management. Um, that segment brought to you by Stealth Cam and Big and J Whitetail Attractants. We'll be right back with more from Infinite Outdoors on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Time to tell you about Protect Products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, Energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, They don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. I must admit I felt the flame Kurt Cobain, Fender Mustang MTV brought me up This is your brain on drugs I won't forget that first girlfriend That got me into boys to men I grew up a lot that year My sweatshirt said no fear 1994, the name of that one from Stephen Wilson Jr. Takes me back to my youth for sure. Uh, I'm Cable Smith. This is SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. And this segment is brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the MC2 SC 9mm pistol. It's my EDC. And here's the thing. This world keeps getting crazier and crazier. I think you'd be insane to not be carrying just about everywhere you go. So if you're in the market for a new everyday carry, check out the MC2 SC 9mm from Mossberg. Okay, well, let's pick it back up with our friends Sam Seaton and Michael Moroni from Infinite Outdoors. I've hunted a lot of different scenarios from one like 
it was kind of close to uh, Steamboat, but it was like a, a housing community where it was my buddy's grandparents' place, and everyone had like twenty to fifty acres. Yeah, and some of them were cool. Um, and we had elk tags, and then some. And it was archery elk hunting, and some of them were cool if you hunted on their place. And then some of them were like, "Get the hell off of here!" So it was yeah. very, you know, you really had to use your your mapping and be like, "Don't cross this boundary line." But those are all tiny little pieces of private land. Uh, and then I've hunted a fifty thousand acre ranch on the Colorado Wyoming border, which part of it's in Colorado, part of it's in I think it was called Three Forks. It's owned by the guy that started Gander Mountain. Yeah. Um, guided up there a little bit yeah well yeah. he's restored that river like to the tune of a million dollars a mile yeah and we were crazy. we were elk hunting and i've never paid for a an outfitted elk hunt i've always done public and yeah um that was the year of hurricane harvey and my buddy's dad had purchased two i think like nine thousand dollar elk yeah. hunts and his yeah. business was affected he had employees that lost their houses and he was like i can't go and my buddy was like do you want to go in my dad's place I was like, sure, but I'm not paying him nine grand. He's like, no, you just go, dude. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, I mean, I've never experienced anything like that because we, and I've told this on the air, like we had to quit elk hunting. And I was telling Matt Ranella that story. We had to quit elk hunting by like nine or 10 o'clock in the morning because we they were worried we we're going to push the elk off the private onto the public. Yeah. Like, this is a massive 50,000 acre ranch. Like, and then you don't hunt again until four in the afternoon. I'm like, this sucks. I don't ever want to elk hunt like this again. The only cool yeah. thing was we were rifle hunting during the rut. And that yeah. was <laughs> because <laughs> that's cool. Because that ranching, for the, uh, ranching for wildlife. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, most of my my hunting has been on public land for, yeah. for elk and mule deer and stuff like that. Um, and that's us too. I mean, we obviously we're in this this business, but. I mean, I think Sam can attest to it. We shoot most of our animals on public ground. So like, that's a big part of it, right? We understand that, that, uh, that's still where a lot of people hunt and we hunt, but there's also that, that other group that maybe wants, they don't want to necessarily do a guided hunt, but they want to, uh, and they, they may not want to lease something for the whole year, but they want to get away from the, the crowds or whatever, you know, and, well, and have this ability. And you know, one of the other perks to that is a lot of times private land is better managed than public land. Yeah. Like, Cause you can control, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing people, a lot of hunters overlook, especially the ones who, and you guys are Western guys, but you understand the value of private land. A lot of Western guys just like, kind of like Matt are like, Hey, you know, West like DIY public land is the only way to go and kind yeah. of look down on private land. And I'm like, well, yeah, um, actually though, we manage our, yeah. our herds very effectively. We provide them with, um, you know, supplemental feed and yeah, well, it's not like we're out there giving them medicine or anything, but we're trying to be good stewards of the land. And when a prescribed burn is need, we do that as well. Um, if, if we're like, Hey, we need better nesting habitat for ground nesting birds like Turkey or quail. We, we, we do projects for that kind of stuff as well. Exactly. Um, and, and by and large, I mean, some of that stuff goes on on public land, but not, you know, unless it's the state wildlife management agency that's doing it, then no, I mean, it doesn't really happen. There, there's so much red tape to jump through and on those. I mean, they, you still have to jump through red tape on some aspects to do big projects on private, but to do small, small conservation work that goes a long way on, on private ground versus public is, is way easier, way more effective. And like on our properties, we can set rest days for all of them. We can set harvest quotas. We can set uh, for you know, for deer and elk, we can set uh, minimum size requirements for harvest, things like that. And that allows us to 
you know, create better herds and uh, better populations. Yeah. And, yeah. and to build off of that, the, the landowners, like we said, they, they're not, they're not giving away any control. They still have full control of their property. The only thing they're required to adhere to is the advice for a biologist. So if you want to be a list on the platform and have that extra revenue driver, we're still going to be like, this is the cap that this property can support as far as, you know, doe harvest, buck harvest. If it's a waterfowl property, we're like, it needs at least four days rest. And then from that, they get free reign, but we're not going to put our name on anything that's not being, being managed and, you know, doing the right steps to make sure we have this resource in several generations. I was on a duck lease one time and like he opened it up at midnight on Friday night. And so if you weren't like awake, like you didn't get first pick and then the damn thing, it had like 12 members on it and there was only like three ponds and it never rested like ever. Yeah. It, like it was the first weekend was good. And then after that, it was like, why do we even lease this place? Cause it was so poorly managed. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. Four days is about the right amount of time you need to let uh, a waterfowl spot rest. Yeah. Uh, so you so how I would sign up would be I pay for a subscription, and that gives me access to seeing the inventory of properties that I can possibly hunt. You can actually there's kind of two ways. So you can just go on our website or specifically like download our app, um, and you can just put in your email, make a password. That's all free. You can see everything, uh, all the properties, uh, what dates are available, all the descriptions, everything like that public land data for all 50 states is all in there for free. Um, and then the the membership, uh, which is either monthly or annually, I think it's $5 a month or 40 bucks for the year. That's when you can go in and actually book. So one thing that's embedded in there is a membership application, we call it. So it's a, it's a very short questionnaire, pretty basic, but what it does is allows us to vet, kind of semi-vet our, our clientele so that the landowners know who's coming onto their property and not just mm -hmm. anybody can go. You have to put in, you know, your vehicle information, things like that. So that when you do book a property, the landowner gets an email, says, this person is coming here this day. This is the car they're driving. If it's not that, then here's their phone number, you yeah. know, call them. So, and so do you get ratings like as a landowner or as the, the hunter? Yep. So, so we have all the ratings every time you uh, <clears throat> go on any sort of, uh, any sort of, we call them adventures. Uh, you get, get prompted to do some reviews next year, like big games, all going to be mandatory reviews. Um, we used to have those all publicly available, but one thing we realized with the outdoor community at large is when they find a good spot, they don't tell anybody or they sandbag it. So we had some people oh. they they'd go through, they'd have like a, a muzzleloader, uh, antelope tag and two guys went out, tagged out opening morning. Um, rebook for the next year, like immediately. And then the review comes through and it's like one star is like, yeah, nothing here. Don't come hunt this property. Like, <laughs> like come on guys. So but they had their pictures in the reviews of the box they, they yeah. shot that morning. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. yeah. So, so we, we still, we still have all that data. We work with the, uh, work with the landers on there. So they actually, we also don't let them control their, their, their price. Um, that's based off of the, you know, quality and demand and, and they have to work with our biologists on where it's at. So the better the property, the more demand, the more they're allowed to charge or if they, or if they check off items on their conservation checklist to improve the property and they get to that extra level, then we allow it to charge more. So, so that's how 
that's how the quality is really tracked for people wanting to to know where they're where they're at. They can always call us. We'll share any any actual relevant uh, review. And then from the landowner's perspective, they have the ability to just um, blacklist any any user. So if any user ever violates any of their rules or regulations, um, they actually have the ability to implement fines too. So if they left a, a bunch of trash, they might have in the rules and regulations that that's a you know two hundred dollar fine or whatever. And they and they have full discretion to completely kick someone off the platform too. So we've actually had, you know, across thousands and thousands of hunts a year, almost zero issues because the hunters are well-behaved. They've been vetted. They don't want to yeah. be fined and then um, keep our quality in there too. When I, I mean, I'm not going to say that hunters don't ever leave trash, but when I like, uh, like for example, last week I was fishing on the Trinity river here and you see a place that's just like, or people had obviously been sitting and there's just trash everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't really even think that person bought a fishing license to be honest no. with you yeah. I, because they don't care. Like someone no, that's right. respectful and buys a hunting or fishing license, generally speaking, there are bad apples in every scenario, but uh, they're respectful. They don't like seeing that kind of crap. They, they, yeah. I mean, the reason we go outdoors is to see just, you know, it take in all of the beauty and the surroundings. And when you trash it up, that's just, I mean, that's not how most hunters act uh, yeah, or anglers I, for that matter. I was used to say like, uh, there's all these like tubers on the river, right? And they, they pay $5 to rent a tube to float downtown or whatever it would be. And they leave way more trash than any fisherman or anything that was in. No, we're the sure. ones picking it up every time we go out, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So we, we probably had more reviews coming from the landowner saying, you know, tell so-and-so thanks for, picking up trash that they found or they'll they'll come out and they'll they'll send like one of the review photos will just be you know a trash bag full of some stuff that wind blew and that they just picked up just because they're so in general it's almost a non-issue we're really lucky that people that hunt and fish and value the outdoors aren't gonna abuse it either yeah um so where are most of the properties like as far as states go currently because i know the effort right now and part of the reason why we're discussing things is because y'all are trying to expand south yeah. So we started Colorado, Wyoming, that area. So like we're pretty bunch of stuff in Colorado, Wyoming's, uh, I don't know how many few hundred thousand acres in Wyoming started to move into Nebraska, uh, Kansas, uh, Oklahoma a little bit. And we're kind of trying to move that way, I think. And a little bit, uh, I think the idea is that there's a lot of people out there that, uh, well, there's also not a lot of public ground, obviously, you know, in Texas, Oklahoma doesn't have a bunch. Um, and then, you know, moving into the areas where people, I don't know, either are okay with paying like some sort of day rate or lease or whatever it is, or also like, that's just like, it's the best way to access all this property. Right. And so we're, we're trying to find, you know, whether it's landowners or current leaseholders that want to help pay for their lease or help, you know, earn extra income on their property and still have the ability to hunt it their, themselves or do whatever they want. So that's kind of the idea is like, we know there's a lot of need for this down, you know, to expand access, to get more people access. I know I've heard you say that like the walk-in or the little bit of public access that there is in Texas is just jam packed with people. So oh, yeah. you know, there's definitely a need for it down there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt. No doubt. The, you know, really we have, we have decent public land waterfowling, but yeah, it's just, it's so crowded that like, you know, I'm old now and I don't want to fight the yeah, yeah. You don't want to be up at two more, more uh, power to those that still do. But man, once you have three kids and you, you hit your forties, the, the days yeah. of 
waking up at 2 a.m. to walk two miles in the dark. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I I'd rather find like, a nice private land spot on y'all's app. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and I mean, we've all been there too. I know in college, shoot, probably hunt waterfowl four or five days a week. We'd like take turns with who slept in the parking lot to make sure we right. get there. We're, we're yeah. like tying headlamps across cattails to make it look like there's a ton of people to kind of been sail there. up spots. Yeah. And, yeah. Done that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had one yeah. guy that didn't even hunt. He just came and drank beer. And then we just put, we just put his sleeping bag out and like, okay. <laughs> You, you, we're going to go put out decoys. You, you just like lay here for a while. And then when we would hunt, he would just go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's lost its luster. The older I get, the less I feel like combat hunting and more. I just want to enjoy nature and the few days that I have to hunt, I want them to be successful and not just a yeah. crap. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So if I'm a landowner, which I'm not, unfortunately, but if I was, I could just reach out to you guys through the website or what's the best way yep. to get in touch with y'all? Yeah. On the website, there's like a consultation request or support request. You just fill that out and uh, it goes directly to myself or our, our land manager. And uh, we go through and contact the landowner, figure out where they are. If they're somewhere close, we try to visit them uh, before we bring them on the platform. If not, you know, kind of do an assessment virtually uh, of what they have going on and what we think we could do for them. And then, uh, yeah, it's it's totally free for landowners um, to, to list their property. Uh, and then, yeah, as soon as then we just start marketing to that area and selling hunts and um, and to the users that are already on our platform and, and then uh, start getting people out there. And then I think I mentioned it earlier, but as soon as you book a hunt, uh, say you were to book a hunt, you would, you would get an email, you'd get it downloaded onto your app whatever, wherever you are, an offline map of the property, all that stuff. Um, and then also the landowner gets an email that says who's coming, how many people, here's their names, here's the day they're going to be there. So, okay. Okay. Um, so the, yeah. the landowner doesn't, it's not like say Airbnb where the landowner has to field all the calls, has to do everything like that. It's all digital and it's all run through us. So the landowner literally just has to sign up, tell us the days that they want it available um and once we get everything set up they're just going to get an email saying so-and-so is going to be here and then they're going to get paid when people do so yeah so say they're a whole yeah. portal they can just control the availability on their on their days or their sections can can edit that but it's i'm not it's, i mean i'm envisioning because i mean i know the way that that i hunt it'd be like no i'm not sharing you know yeah. i'm on my property right so mm -hmm. I'm thinking that these landowners that are enrolling their property are not really like hardcore hunters themselves. So that's probably better for the consumer, right? Like the way I'm looking at it, because if it was me, I'd be like, no, I'm going to yeah. hunt my own property. Yeah. Now, a different mindset would be, I love, you know, I love the outdoors. I like coming to my property. I'm really, you know, maybe I'm 75 now and I'm just not into deer hunting as much as I once was, or yeah. I want to let someone else experience it, you know, whatever. So I'm not thinking these people are just like gung ho, die hard, like. Yeah, well, it also kind of depends because there are, we do have some that are that are die hard, but mm -hmm. in a state like Colorado, you can still only shoot one deer a year. So if they own uh, fifteen thousand acres, and there's plenty more, you know, where just natural life cycle, you're going to lose another four mature bucks. Yeah. Why not make an extra thirty thousand dollars or whatever? It wouldn't be that much, but but. uh um, just to supplement that, or if you purchase a lease yourself, um, instead of having five other buddies split that cost with you, um, that are all going to shoot, uh, you know, several deer a piece, you could sell 
three of those hunts to short-term leaseholders make just as much money and your property actually got pressured less and you just help supplement that, that yearly lease cost. Yeah. Yeah, or if you're not a waterfowl hunter, you just put it on for waterfowl and make a make a bunch of money off of that, and you can still hunt all the other stuff. So it's, it can be. Oh, and you specific. could set it up to where you hunt deer in the rut, and you don't even list your place for waterfowl yep. until mid December or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah, and like some of the landowners, they'll only hunt archery. They're like archery hunters, right? And yeah. then they have, but they're in the elk migration, and they're like, we got cows all over the place in later in the season, so they'll sell cow hunts, or if they're they like to waterfowl hunt, but they're like, Hey, we need to make some money on this place. We're just going to, you know, have Saturdays the day we like to hunt. We're going to have it closed every Saturday. We take that into account as one of our days. That's like, as a, so that's not a rest day. That's actually hunted day. So it's only, you know, open two other days that week. So, yeah, you know. yeah. no, that makes, uh, that makes sense. And you know, one question I get a lot in Texas is people looking for like meat hunts for, yeah. for does or hogs mostly does and for the outfitter today it's really almost not worth it like financially for them to take people on a doe hunt Mm -hmm. right this seems like it would be a much better alternative for someone looking to fill the freezer yeah uh, you know for a doe for a doe harvest because like it is if you're selling a doe hunt for 400 bucks and you're an outfitter it's like well between fuel and feed i'm not making much money here so Generally speaking, I don't have an answer for these people because I'm like, yeah, some people will let you shoot a doe if you buy a buck hunt, but like, I just don't see a lot of advertised doe hunts anymore. Yeah. And then the um, problem with doe hunts too, just to add one more component of, of the old headache is someone still has to go and show you the property boundaries and tell you the rules of the property or they'll have to get it, get a different gate code for you. All that's hundred percent digitized, shows the geofence, the boundaries, every rule and regulations where you're at. So they can manage that hundred percent hands off, make that money without even the personnel headache of having to show people where they can and can't go. Yeah. And pay half as much typically, if not less sure. than that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, right on. So the, uh, website is infinite outdoors, USA.com. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, and then we have social media. Yeah. Social media is just infinite outdoors underscore USA on Instagram and then infinite outdoors on, uh, Facebook. And then, biggest thing is just be if people want to check it out go download the infinite outdoors app um for ios and android um check it out you can browse everything um go on there and kind of see what you get for free and then if you're interested in a membership it's super easy just join right there on the app and it's kind of all there and uh we like to be super available for everybody as they you know if they have any questions just reach out on there we're around all the time so um someone will be there to to help out and one thing we forgot to mention on the app too is um, we have a lot of different partners too. So if you're a paid member, you get a whole bunch of discounts on, on a lot of industry gear, like, like, like Forlow, all, all us made, uh, camo. They're one of our partners. So you can go on there and get it, get a discount code. Same with mountain ops, born and raised all sorts of, uh, great, um, outdoor industry companies too. Cool deal. Cool deal. Um, well, Sam, Michael, thanks for jumping on today. Uh, I think it's an awesome concept and the, the opportunities seem endless for the landowner to be able to cater everything exactly how they want and then the consumer to be able to pick up additional hunting days in the field and, and have a private land experience. Uh, so very cool. Uh, y'all check it out. Infinite Outdoors is the website. Also, their social media stuff. Thanks again, guys, and good luck for the rest of your turkey season.
Cool. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you having us on, Cable. Yeah. So there you have it. Sam Seaton and Michael Maroney of Infinite Outdoors. Appreciate them jumping on today. That segment was brought to you by Armasite and the 640 Contractor Thermal Rifle Scope. If you haven't looked through one of these bad boys, maybe you don't want to because you're going to end up buying it. It's that awesome. Uh, internal recording, of course, and a bunch of other crazy awesome features. For more info, just head over to Armasite.com. Um, thanks to Michael and Sam. Also, thanks to Gabriella Hoffman. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. It ain't my boots or my cowboy hat now. My baby loves me for my pearl snacks. They really drive her wild. She can't resist my country western style.